You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. This morning, we are wrapping up our sermon series called Shades. We've been talking about bright encounters that people have had with God. What lessons do we have to learn from Moses on Mount Sinai, from Elijah on Mount Carmel, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and today we're going to talk about another one of those bright encounters where someone saw the light. And I ask you really from the start, have you seen the light? Have you had your experience of seeing the light of Jesus? And so that's what we're talking about. Um, Today, however, we're going to look at someone who had a bright encounter with God, and when he saw the light, he went blind. He saw the light and he went blind unexpectedly. And, uh, and as we take a look at this story, I, I want to talk about the idea that sometimes we have to be blinded in order to see. We have to be blinded in order to be able to have our eyes open to something better. It's a sad thing when one loses their vision. Uh, my mom has macular degeneration, and it's a disease uh, that's a genetic thing. I pray that I don't get it, but uh, when you get older, what happens is you begin to lose your central vision. Um, it's like right where you would focus gets darker and darker and darker until it's a big black hole, and all you have is peripheral vision. Uh, how many of you know know somebody that has macular degeneration, or maybe you struggle with it yourself? And and so uh, it's a sad thing that you can't see what's right in front of you. Um, what's more tragic, however, is that when you do have your eyesight and you still can't see, metaphorically speaking, what's right in front of you. And I think that there is a condition called inattentional blindness. And uh, everybody has it. This is something we all have, inattentional blindness. And what that means is you're blind to something that's right in front of your eyes, but you don't see it because you're focused on something else. Uh, Magicians use this all the time. They know that we suffer from it, so they use the sleight of hand to get your attention focused on one thing, and then you can't see what they're doing to hide to make the trick possible. And, uh, and, and, you know, we might have great peripheral vision, but the area that we're able to really focus on at one moment is a very small area in our vision. And, for instance, you go to pull out of a, of a, in, in, onto a road, and uh, I don't know if you've ever done it, I hope you haven't, but there are times when you're looking for cars and you don't see the bicycle coming, Right? Because you're not expecting a bicycle, you're looking for cars or maybe a motorcycle. That's inattentional blindness right there. You're blind to the bicycle because you're looking for something different than a bicycle. And sometimes you can pull out in front of somebody or, and we all drive down the highway and we have the actual blind spot in our car that's, you know, between the rear view mirror and the side view mirror. And you don't see that person that's passing you and you pull out in in front of them. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is, um, when we um, have uh, 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 this ability to see and we don't see, it's that inattentional blindness. And, and that's the story of Saul. He had an inattentional blindness. He was blind to the truth, blind to the reality. When I say Saul, I'm talking about Paul. Saul became Paul in the New Testament. The story of Paul we know about. Saul was his Hebrew name. He was Hebrew, but when he went to evangelize the, the Greeks, 
he changed his name to the Greek version, or it was just he was just called it like if if Juan is Juan in Mexico, he's John in America, right? So that Saul was Saul, and then he becomes Paul when he goes to the Greek speaking world. So here's the story about him, but I really want to say from the really, really at, at the outset is here's the thought I want you to remember is Jesus specializes in healing blind spots. Jesus specializes in healing blind spots, and I promise you today, you have blind spots. And the problem is, we don't know what our blind spots are. My, my prayer today is maybe Jesus will help you see maybe an area of your life that you've been blind to. And, um, and, and so let's talk about that. Saul had this bright encounter that changed everything for him, but before he could have this aha moment, uh, he was on the road to destruction. Let me just review for you, if you're not familiar with the story of, of Paul, who was Saul. Um, what happened after the resurrection, this rumor spread throughout the, the, the town of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the, the resurrection, and, and the ranks of believers swelled from the, the few that followed Jesus to the 120 that were waiting in the upper room, and then the day of Pentecost comes, and 3,000 get baptized, and, and, all, and it just spreads like wildfire because these people witnessed the resurrected Christ. Uh, that's a pretty profound thing, never happened before. And so people are hearing about it. They're hearing the story. And, um, and as it spread, the, the powers that be, the religious powers that be in Jerusalem became a bit threatened by that. Uh, Acts 4 verse 2 says uh, that these ruling city elders called Peter and John in for questioning after a crippled beggar was healed. And again, all these people are starting to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus, who's the one that the Sanhedrin gave the command or gave permission for him to be crucified, right? They thought he's leading a rebellion. So here the religious leaders, you know, turn him over to Pilate and the whole thing happens. They were in cahoots with the Roman authorities to have Jesus crucified. And now everybody's saying that he rose from the dead. So how, put yourselves in their shoes, right? How would they feel? And this blind guy gets healed more people are following. So it says, they were greatly disturbed, Acts chapter 4, verse 2, because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so this, the momentum of this movement was increasing, and those who, were, who had control over the religious um, atmosphere of the town were feeling threatened. And, and when those who, are feeling, who have the power feel threatened, what do they do? They exert their power, right? So they try to stomp out this new movement. They try to, to, to quelch it. And what they do is, uh, they, they, uh, they, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, we cannot help speaking when they call Peter and John in. Peter and John are saying, you know, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And so it continued to grow. And when it began to spread, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Greek-speaking Jews, because of the diaspora, you have all these Greek-speaking Jews, and, and so the Greco-Roman Empire, Greek is the dominant language there, and, and so it starts to spread, and then one of the new converts, Stephen, gets up, and Stephen gives this profound message about the resurrection of Jesus, and uh, and something had to be done about that. So these religious authorities tapped somebody to really lead the charge to stomp out this 
movement of people, these followers of the way, and that's what they were called back then. They weren't called Christians. They were followers of the way. So they tapped this, this young graduate from the West Point School of Theology named Saul. He was, a, he was the top student of his class, a rising star, a brilliant man, and a very zealous person for what the, he believed was, was Orthodox Judaism. He was a student of Gamaliel, who was the, you know, the most profound professor of this school of theology there. And so he gets, he gets tapped to lead the movement, uh, or lead the charge against the movement of these people. And it's ironic that, that Saul would be the one that would be tapped because it was Gamaliel back in chapter uh, 5 who, who after Peter and John had, gave their defense and they started, what should we do? Should we kill these guys? He said, no, let them go. Gamaliel said these profound words, Acts five thirty nine. He said, leave these men alone. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. I love that. I love that. So what do they do? They start fighting against God by trying to stomp out this movement. And uh, some people just have to learn from experience. So when Stephen was stoned to death, Acts chapter 7, for teaching about Jesus, who was there that gave the command to throw the rocks? Saul. Saul. Acts chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Godly men buried Stephen mourn deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Leave that scripture up there, Sarah, for a moment. Picture that in your mind. What image does that bring back to you? When you think of Saul, Saul was on the road to destroy people. He was on the road to destruction. The use of force intended to stop the spread of the followers away, but it produced the opposite result. The more he would come down on these people, the more it spread. The more the news spread about the resurrection. And everywhere they went, these people had experienced this power of the resurrected Christ, the Spirit of God. Told, and they kept telling their story, and it kept growing and growing. And it only infuriated Saul even more. And so, so he got warrants from the authorities, well, I'm going to go to Damascus, to Syria. I'm going to go there because these believers scattered. They went there, and it's now even spreading there among the Greek speakers in, in Damascus. I'm going to go there and do it. So they gave him a warrant to go there and go into their houses and drag off men and women, put them in prison. I think we could say that Saul was a terrorist, he was a religious zealot, a religious terrorist. There's no worse kind of terrorist than a religious terrorist. And we see it today in, in other ways. Do you remember Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And Saul was on that road to destruction. Why do you think Saul was on that road to destruction? Let's just try to get into Saul's mind. Let's, let's try to guess. Obviously, he was power hungry. He wanted to climb the ranks, right? This was, this was his power structure, and 
He's the top graduate, so obviously he was a high achiever, and he just wanted to keep being the high achiever. He wanted to climb up. He wanted to be the chief priest someday. He wanted to be the head of the Sanhedrin. He wanted to be in the Jewish ruling council. That was his goal, so he's climbing the ladder of the power structures. And, 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 and when we think of power structures, and I get the idea that these religious leaders were like the, the forgive me for saying this, the Jewish mafia, Right? They give a command, you gotta, you gotta kill that guy. They, they're in cahoots with the, the Roman authorities. Let's, you know, let's conspire. Let's get rid of this troublemaker, Jesus. So, so he's, he's in this Jewish mafia. He's a hitman for them. He's a terrorist for them. He, he, the more zealous he grew, the more narrow-minded he became because he was just focused on this one thing. And here's my point. I believe the road to destruction is crowded with narrow-minded people. The road to destruction is crowded with narrow-minded people, people who are convinced that their way is so right that they have the right to hurt and harm and destroy other people because of their view. Christians aren't like that, are they? said sarcastically. And so, so when we think that we can, because of what we believe, have the right to destroy other people who believe differently, are we really following the way of Jesus? Or are we following the way of Saul on the road to destruction? Do we have the right to destroy other people who don't believe the way we believe because we feel threatened by them. Let's not fall into that same trap. We see it in politics all the time. We see it, and it's horrible that what we're seeing in our country, the way that we are on the fast road to destruction because of the way we feel right to destroy other people because of our viewpoint. God forbid that believers would get sucked up into that stuff. God forbid that we would take the low road. Amen? Hello? So, so he was power hungry, he was a terrorist, he was on this road. So he's on the road to Damascus, and here's the bright encounter. And I love this. So Acts chapter 9, here's the story. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter this city. You'll be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with them stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate or drank. Talk about God, you know, lifting up the humble and casting down the proud. 
Sometimes when we're on the road to destruction, God has to, has to tear us down before he builds us back up. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've been humbled. Three observations and a couple questions I want to ask about this situation. First of all, we see here that Saul was a man with a plan. His vision was clear. He knew what he was supposed to do. I'm going to go to Damascus. If there's any Jewish people in the synagogues there that are starting to talk about this resurrection, following the, the way, he's going to be able to get them bound and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. So, so here he was. He was going to do this. This was his plan. And it was part of his higher plan to ascend the, the ranks of the religious leadership. And so with this clear vision and uh, this, this plan, he was this religious terrorist. He, he rides toward Damascus, and when he least expects it, boom. Jesus shows up and completely messes up his plans. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you love it? Totally messed up his plans. I wonder if you're here today and Jesus needs to mess up your plans to get your attention. Do you need Jesus to mess up your plans? You say, well, I'm not, I'm not on this road to destruction. I'm not going out to hurt anybody. I'm not really angry. Obviously, I'm preaching to the choir here, but, you know, I think there are ways that we are destroying people. We might not know it. Maybe even in the name of Jesus we do it. Hmm, think about that. Think about that. So Jesus messed up his plan. He knew clearly what he wanted, but he was blind to the damage that he was causing, to the reality of the resurrected one. Of course, he didn't think he was doing anything wrong. He thought he was truly justified in what he was doing. I mean, he wanted comfort and security and control for his tribe, his tribe, the Jewish authorities. So who doesn't want comfort and security and, and, and control for our own tribe? But when we use that to justify destroying other people, then we've crossed the line. And that's what's happened to him. It was only until he was struck blind that he could truly see this, that, that he was on this road to destruction. that he was destroying other people. And, and so the question is, in what ways might you be hurting other people that you don't realize? You know, here's the blind spot. Your actions, your behavior, whether it be in the family, your friendships, workplace, neighborhood, your actions, maybe in small ways, sometimes in big ways, are hurting other people. And you don't even know it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever hurt people and you didn't realize you hurt them? Sometimes it's the things you don't say because people are expecting you to do something and you don't come through and you disappoint them and you hurt them. But other times it's more direct. And so my prayer today is, God, you know, how am I, how am I hurting other people and I don't even realize that I'm doing it? What am I doing to destroy people? Maybe, God, you need to get my attention. What would it take for Jesus to get your attention? What would it take for Jesus to, to open your eyes? 
Have you ever had that Damascus Road experience? Have you ever been on going one way and it's like Jesus does something and all of a sudden your life turns around? I was 15 years old and I thought everything was cool. I quit going to church. I was trying to be popular, trying to, you know, have a lot of friends like every more normal kid, I think, was. And and uh, insecure on the inside, but pretending that you're not on the outside. You know how that goes. And uh, somebody invited me to come to church, and I thought, oh, really? I just wanted to be with that person. I didn't really want to go to church. But hey, if this is the price I have to pay to get a girl, I'll do it. So, you know, you, you go, and I <laughs> how many of you guys went to church to get the girl? Yeah, 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 you know. I don't recommend that, women... Man, I don't recommend it. Sometimes it works. And here I am, you know, it's like, um, all of a sudden I hear this message about Christ that was different than what I'd heard in my little church growing up. Because I'd gone to church as a kid. It's, it's what you did back then. Everybody did. If you didn't, you were a heathen. But didn't, you know, you just went to church. Everybody went to church, right? Right? I'm, I'm aging myself, I know. But everybody went to church. And uh, I didn't get anything out of it. And I uh, grew bored with it in junior high. Gave my parents a hard enough time, my brother and I, that we quit going. Wasn't important. And then I heard this message that was very simple. And it was the idea that all of us have gone our own way. We've all gone astray. We've all turned away from God. All of us have turned away from God in one way or another. And, 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 and that, that, that the idea of Christ dying on the cross wasn't just because God loved the world, that Christ died on the cross because God loved you, Bill Ellis. That was the Holy Spirit pointing the finger. The pastor didn't say that, but he was talking right at me. And I realized, oh, you mean I'm a sinner? Come on, I'm better than a lot of friends. <laughs> I'm not getting into all the stuff they're getting into. But it was, yeah, I knew, okay. I knew. And so the invitation was given to come forward and pray at the end of the message, not really knowing what to expect, not really knowing what it was all about. But I just felt the tug in my heart the need to do it. And I kneeled and I prayed. And you know what? My eyes are open to things that I never saw before. It was, it was my aha. It wasn't a road to Damascus. It wasn't a bright light. It wasn't like, you know, a voice from God audibly speaking to me. But there was this shift that took place in me that realized for the very first time that that the God of heaven and earth knew me that intimately and knew everything about me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in spite of it, he loved me more than anybody else. When I received the love of God, it freed me from the need to be loved by everybody else. Especially my dad, to prove myself to my brother. I was a very hot-tempered, competitive person. I'm still competitive. And I can get angry. Hopefully it's a righteous anger. But the, the idea is that, that it changed. That was my, and so it was like, you know, in that moment, I, uh, 
I encountered Christ and he messed up my life because I had no plans ever to be a, to, to be a church goer to, uh, and to be in ministry, to be a pastor. When I was a kid, I thought, who would ever want that job? And here I am and doing it for 30 some years. And I'm like, God, you messed up my life. You messed up my plans. And you know what? I think God wants to mess up somebody's plans today. I don't know how he needs to mess up your plans, but maybe God wants to mess up your plans today. Because encountering the resurrected Jesus will mess up your life in a good way. In a good way. So, so Jesus blinded Saul, and then he asked him the question, why do you persecute me? Isn't that interesting? He wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting all these followers of Jesus. But Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And that's the question that he asked Saul. But for all of us, he probably asks maybe a similar question or a different question. I wasn't, I wasn't persecuted. I thought I was a Christian back then. Maybe the question for me is, why don't you care about me? Why are you so apathetic toward me? Maybe that was the question that he was asking me. Maybe the question for you is, you know, when will you turn to God? When will you turn to me? Maybe it's, why are you angry at me? Maybe God's asking you, why are you running from me? Why do you mock me? Maybe those are the questions that Jesus may be asking people here this morning. I don't know. And maybe you're currently on a Damascus Road experience and Jesus is asking you those kinds of questions. And so what is the question he would put to you? I find it interesting that, 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 that the question Jesus asked is directly related to how we view Christianity, how we view the church. I had nothing against Jesus. I was just bored with church. I think there are a lot of people today that don't have anything against Jesus, but they have a lot against people who call themselves Jesus followers. And their view of Jesus is directly related to how they view Christians. And when they have Christians who are sending messages to them that are offensive, that are hypocritical, that are people that say one thing and they do another, or they use their religion in hateful ways, what they're saying is, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But it's really... Jesus' followers that they don't want to have anything to do with. I heard somebody say one time, is there any way that I can be a follower of Jesus and not have to join the club? Because Jesus I like, it's just those people. And, you know, that's the cultural view of Christians today, isn't it? Right or wrong, I don't believe it's right for authentic Christians to be viewed the way the culture is, but, you know, Christians have been stereotyped to be that kind of people. And so we have to work extra hard like other people who are stereotyped to overcome that viewpoint of what Christians are. We can get mad, we can get angry, or we can say, let's prove that we're different. Let's prove that we're different. Why didn't I care? Why was I so apathetic? Because I'd grown totally bored with church. And I've had more conversations with people than I care to remember, people who say, it's not Jesus that I have a problem with. 
but it's, it's church. I was hurt. This Christian did this to me. They became disillusioned with Christ because of the hypocrisy and the manipulation that they experienced in the church that they had. So they walk away from Christ. Hello? You've seen that, right? So opinions of Jesus are shaped by the behaviors of his followers. And we have a responsibility to change that. It's tragic that the popular culture, perception of the church, and Christ is formed by those who least exemplify Jesus in their life. So Saul was persecuting the church. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? But it was the church he was persecuting. And so we make the connection there that, that those who are followers of Jesus are virtually Jesus on earth. We're the only Jesus people will ever meet. And those who have seen the light of Christ are the presence of Jesus. That's the point I want to make here. So we need to do everything that we can to to exemplify the life and the ministry and the sacrificial love of Jesus to our world. As the scripture says, those who claim to be in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. It's not an option. It's not an option. So what would it look like if Jesus were to turn your life around? What if he could pluck you from the road to Damascus and put you on to, as he did with Paul, Redemption Road? And that's what happened. He was going one way, and there was this aha moment, this Damascus road. He saw the light, and it was Jesus who like picked him up from going this direction, turned him around 180 degrees, and set him on from the road to destruction to the road to redemption. Let's read the rest of the story. We're in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. It says, now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street. I love the specific directions here. It's like, here's the GPS from God right here. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. And I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. (laughs) No, but don't change that. Keep that right up there, Sarah. You're Ananias. You're the answer to Saul's prayer or God's vision to Saul. What's going through your mind? You've heard about Saul. You know he's the hitman for the Sanhedrin Mafia. And he's come there to get people like you and take them back to Jerusalem in chains. And now it's mission impossible. Dun, 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 God says, here's your mission. You go to him and you talk to him. Listen to what Ananias says. I love it. He says, but Lord... I've heard so many people talk about this terrible things that this man has done to believe in Jerusalem and he's authorized by leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon his name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel 
and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I wonder if Ian and I said, you know, until you said that last sentence, I wasn't going to go. <laughs> and uh, so Ananias went and found Saul. And he laid hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized. Somebody say praise the Lord. Here's the thing. I wonder if Ananias had refused if Saul would have had that experience. Oh, you say, well, God could have said somebody else. I probably, I'm sure he could have. But if it wasn't for Ananias, the scales may not have come off of Saul's eyes. And if it wasn't for the scales coming off of Saul's eyes, Saul's eyes would not have gone beyond the walls of Judaism to bring the gospel to the Greek-speaking world. If the gospel hadn't gone to the Greek-speaking world, it would have been uh, just a little temporary cult of Judaism that died off after the first generation people fell away. But it went beyond them because of Paul. Saul, who turned into Paul, whose name was Paul in the Greek world. And you're here this morning because of that. You're here this morning because of that. Think about it. Think about it. Think about that. I wonder. I wonder if any of us are needing a Damascus Road experience this morning. We have blind spots. We think we're on a road that's okay. It's cool. It's the road everybody else is going on. It's the wide road to destruction, and it's filled with narrow-minded people who can't see a better way, the way of the resurrected one, the way of the resurrected one. And maybe today you need to open your heart to the way of the resurrected one and let him resurrect your life. Broad is the road. Paul wrote later on, all of us went along that way. We were all enemies of God, deserving of God's wrath. But God, because of his great mercy, loved us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. It is by grace that you're saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, the scripture says. God's created you for a masterpiece to do great works in Jesus, Paul wrote. And so much of what we see now, we read even today that inspires us, comes from Paul who had that experience on the road to Damascus. And so he received his sight and he saw things forever differently. And he joined God's plan to redeem a broken, lost and world that is full of people who are on the road to destruction. And so much of what we read comes from Paul in his writings in the Christian scriptures. 
And you know what's ironic about this? Paul went out and he went around the Greek-speaking world and he planted churches telling the story that he saw the resurrected Jesus. It was that bright light in the voice. He experienced the resurrected Jesus because he told people about that. They started to experience the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit started baptizing people and people were getting baptized all around the world. And because of that, when Paul came back to Jerusalem, he now was a threat to the Jewish leaders. He then was arrested and put in prison by the Jewish leaders. And there he was brought before the Roman king who was basically not the emperor, but the king who was put there to oversee that part of the empire. And it says in Acts chapter 26, Paul was brought before King Agrippa. And what does he say? He says, you know, I was on this road to Damascus one day. And I heard a voice that said, Jesus, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. This is Acts chapter 26. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So here was the one who was blinded so that he could see in order to help other people see who are walking in darkness. And where's the darkness in your life today that you need the light of Christ to come in? You need Jesus to help you see. Because God's grace is offered to you, to all of us. God opened Saul's blind eyes and sent him out to bring light into the darkness that still blinds people today to the reality of the resurrected Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come back at this time and we're going to Take a few moments. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to have a little conversation with God right now through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the questions really are, which road are you on right now? Are you on the road to destruction or are you on the road to redemption? And you're on that road to destruction, it's not too late to turn around and Jesus might be shining the light into your heart today and you're just feeling it. You're feeling your heart pump a little harder. Your palms are sweating because you know the Spirit's talking to you and you know there's some changes that need to be made in your life. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here for you. You don't have to go that way. I understand. But I want to forgive you. I want to give you a new start. I want you to turn around. Maybe you had that Damascus Road experience years ago, but somehow along the way, you've lost your way. Maybe today's the day for you to have to turn back to God. Say, well, I got saved when I was a little kid. Yeah, well, good for you. But what's your life headed right now? 
And where are you causing harm that need, you need the light of Christ? Today you need redirected. You need a mid-course correction. And so today it begins with recognition and that's where the, the light comes on and I the aha moment, I recognize that God, thank you for pointing that out to me as painful as it is to realize, God, I needed to hear that. God, help me. Help me to stop hurting my spouse the way I've been hurting my spouse. Help me to stop hurting my kids. God, help me to stop hurting my parents. God, help me to stop hurting my friends and coworkers. God, help me. Help me. Uh, I need you to, to expose my blind spots and help me to see there's a better way. God, I need you, God. To help me stop hurting myself by the actions that I'm doing to myself. And so, God, I surrender to you. God, I want to give you control. Please, come Holy Spirit, be resurrected in my heart and in my life. Help me to see with new eyes, to see more clearly, God. Help me. Help me to follow you. And God, I, I need to do this on an ongoing basis. So God, I recommit myself to you today. I need you. May I follow the light of Christ. And may I be used to help others see the way out of their darkness by the power of your Holy Spirit in me. In Jesus, I pray. Jesus, I pray. And maybe you're here this morning and as we sing, God might be saying to you, you know what? Uh, why don't you just go forward and find a place to pray and Seal that deal in your heart. Have that conversation with God. Ask him to open your heart, open your eyes, and pray that simple prayer. Jesus, open my eyes. Fill my heart and fill my life with your spirit. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org